0: chick flicks, romantic comedies, rom-coms. You love them. You hate them. But we are here to eviscerate them. Welcome to the Rom-Com Killjoys podcast. We are your hosts, Eliza Bertrand and Janelle Walker.
1: Now, let's get on with some feminist joy-killing. In his 1846 novella The Double... Dostoevsky writes of a man called Goliadkin, who, after creating a faux pas at a holiday party, stumbles into a snowstorm to find a man who looks exactly like him. Now, over time, this novella has acquired quite a critical reputation, including uh, an an analysis that is quite um, centered on the search for identity, such that uh, a scholar by the name of Leatherbarrow once said that the main idea of the double is that, quote, the human will, in its search for total freedom of expression, becomes a self-destructive impulse. Make your own connections between that and the film that we have to discuss this week.
0: (laughs) Hi, Eliza. Hey, Janelle. And hey to everyone listening. It's nice to be back. I hope you're happy to be back listening with us. Despite what we're about to do to your ears. (laughs) Despite the the war crime we're about to commit. But also, happy Christmas in July, everybody.
1: Merry Christmas in July and a happy new summer.
0: <laughs> and again, we're so sorry for what's about to happen.
1: <laughs> yes, um, Eliza, I'm really glad that we're continuing our, our grand tradition of... Uh having massive uh, mind-melting discussions about the grand old Netflix Christmas cinematic universe. I'm happy to be back.
0: Yes, we have returned to the NCCU because it is (laughs) never-ending. This is now our third Christmas month that we've covered, and there's still more Netflix Christmas movies to talk about.
1: Life goes on a petty pace from day to day, as a Scottish man once said.
0: So, um, Janelle... What I like about today is that we're not talking about one Netflix Christmas mm. Cinematic Universe movie. We are talking about two. Today, A, is a- double header, you might say. <laughs> yes, a double header. We are talking about The Princess Switch and The Princess Switch 2. Switched again. Although I have to say, I think switched again is sort of a misnomer because it makes it sound as if they have been switched as opposed to what has happened, which is they choose to switch. I feel like it's a, it's a little less uh, hijinx-y in the second one and more they're just like, what if we just switched places for a day?
1: Yeah, they really could have gone with a more descriptive title like um, the Princess Christmas Dosi do um,
0: I believe there was one, I think it was a Vox article, although I could be wrong on that, uh, that describes the second movie as the Vanessa Hudgens drag brunch happy hour. Yes. And that really is sort of what it feels like. Like it's not so much plot as much as just Giving Vanessa Hudgens things to say and stuff to do.
1: Yes, I believe uh, another uh, lovely description from that discussion includes saying that Vanessa Hudgens is doing an impression of someone who's acting, which I think <laughs> is something that I will dive into a little more deeply here later in the program.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about. Um, so why don't we why don't we start off as we do with a uh, a, a Google summary, if one can sure. summarize these, Phil. The summary uh,
1: that I'm going to go with here is our Google summary for the first movie, The Princess Switch, because there is a plot for The Princess Switch to Switched Again, but, you know. Uh, Here's your Google summary. The Princess Switch, The Year of Our Lord, 2018. One week before Christmas, a duchess switches places with an ordinary woman from Chicago. They are both played by Vanessa Hudgens. And they each fall in love with each other's bows. Well, (laughs) Eliza. That, according to Google, is the extremely simple plot of The Princess Switch. But what would you say The Princess Switch is really about? Intellectually, you know, cosmically, (laughs) existentially.
0: Uh, The Princess Switch is about the desperate need for the downfall of capitalism. Uh, no, so I...
1: (laughs) Wait, no, but it actually is, and we're going to talk about it, Eliza. I'm tired of pretending that that's not what this movie is about, and it is. Okay, everyone, get ready for some Marxist analysis. You thought this was a (laughs) rom-com podcast that had some feminist overtones. No, this is a Marxist podcast now. Welcome to it, comrades.
0: I just want to say there's been so much in the last 18 months that has made me think, how did we get here? And often I have an answer for that, but there also is just sort of an existential, like... Seriously, what is the series of events in our Western capitalist society that led to, like, this happening? Um, And I certainly think that the Princess Switch, and more specifically, the Princess Switch 2, really embody that question. (laughs) How Mm. did we get here? Where one of the, the largest television and content producers in the world with more money than God and more ability to control the content that we consume than anyone other than the Disney Corporation is spending not only money to create, but money to seriously promote these absolutely trash movies that everyone, including Netflix and its promoters and the people consuming that promotion know are absolute trash. And it still happens. Yes.
1: um, Eliza, I could not agree with you more. In fact, I'm looking at my notes here. And I think one that I wrote in all caps was there are so many references in this screenplay. It's too much. It's a late stage capitalist mad lib.
0: Well, and I think a lot of those references, I mean, it's self referential, right? Like it refers to the NCCU. But it also there are references that are peppered in that are for middle millennial women about the things Mm -hmm. that we consumed when we were preteens and teens because there are references in this movie to the parent trap to it takes two which is the olsen twins version of the parent trap to Mm -hmm. the princess diaries right like Mm -hmm. all of these things and they're not necessarily really heavy handed because they don't need to be because they know that any you know 30 something woman watching this movie has watched those movies and has watched them multiple times. So you don't need to be really heavy handed in order for you to be like, that is, that is the Lindsay Lohan school of fancy accents that Vanessa Hudgens is doing right now. You know, this, you know, bit where they're cutting their hair. That's a reference to, you know, to the movie when she says like, ah, get out when she finds out things about the other girl. Like she's not saying shut up, but it's the exact same delivery as when um, Anne Hathaway says shut up in The Princess Diaries. Like it's the same movie that we've been watching for 20 years and they've just packaged it in an even worse, shittier package and delivered it as if it is goddamn gold. But the thing is like,
1: are they delivering it as if it's gold? Because I think that the thing about this film that uh, I believe I described it to you is giving me the heebie-jeebies. Uh, The thing about this film that gives me the heebie-jeebies is the same thing that that gives me the heebie-jeebies about The Christmas Prince, which is that this film was produced to be consumed in exactly the way we're consuming it now, which is to watch it, to note all of the uh, terrible things about it, including the fact that it was made on a shoestring budget that the wardrobe is awful, that the script is terrible, that it has inconsistent world building, and it makes all these references to these other films without a care at all for the internal logic of the film. But that's actually what it was always meant to be. Like, someone sat down and created a two-year production schedule for this movie, knowing full well that it was always meant to be a shitty movie that people either watched while drinking with their friends at Christmas Or while wrapping presents and not really caring and just sort of listening. That is the uncanny valley of culture. Mm -hmm. It is the opposite of what Walter Benjamin called the aura. It is the art in the age of mechanical reproduction at its final stage when it is starting to collapse and self-destruct. Like, it is so (laughs) terrifying this is a horror movie.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I think for me, where the dystopian element comes in for me is that, yes, they are, they know that everyone's going to get drunk and watch this with their girlfriends and be like, oh, my God, this movie is so dumb. But the movie and these series of movies, this type of movie is still wrapped in the shimmery bow of the Christmas spirit. Mm. And that... Particular genre of like cheaply made for TV movies set at Christmas are made with this sort of intent of lifting one's spirits when you watch it, right? Like they're simple and they're, you know, they don't have big twists and you know how it's going to end and everyone ends happy and then it, you're supposed to be like, oh, the magic of Christmas. I feel optimistic. I feel happy. I feel sated. I feel, you know, placated whatever it is and so by taking these movies that are this just like shitty content that's meant to be consumed as shitty content but still sort of winking and nudging and putting it into this like doughy-eyed christmas spirit globe that is surrounding it somehow still means that like there's a part of it that is intended to be taken seriously to the extent that it is meant to make you happier having watched it as opposed to make you think or make you have no emotional reaction.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. Maybe there's there's a there's a register at this film that is supposed to be taken earnestly, but I am such a jaded and and (laughs) detached human that it just like reads as creepy to me. But I mean, you're right. Like, there are so many sort of truisms that show up Mm -hmm. in this movie. Like I know at least in the first one, they kind of reiterate this line from the Christmas angel. We're going to talk about that car, that character. Uh, Of course, which is
0: fucking like random old guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's supposed to be the Rowan Atkinson of love actually, except he's like seven times creepier and not at all funny, but also not endearing. So you're just like, why is he still here? I know. And then he's delivering
1: this like line that is so obviously like we're supposed to understand it as a line from a tea towel at a TJ Maxx, right? He keeps <laughs> saying life is what happens when you're busy making other plans, which is not a Christmas related sentiment. But because it's coming from our Christmas angel character, it suddenly becomes a Christmas sentiment. Mm-hmm. Like what did you make of the repetition of that? Because again, like I said, what I, I, I find it extremely creepy the whole sort of Script generated by a neural network effect of it, but I mean, what did you think did <laughs> no you...
0: oh absolutely i'm one I'm with you one hundred percent, and like to be clear, when I'm saying that I think these movies have this like weird optimistic bow i I think that that is part of the creepiness, right like that that yeah. sincerity within this shit factory is what gives me that, like, sense of what the hell is going on. Um, it's not that I think they're successful at giving you that feeling. It's that, like, there's that's still part of what they're trying to, like, mind wipe you into believing. Um, but the, <laughs> the, the the creepy old man and that sentiment of, like, life is what happens when you're making other plans... To me, I think for this movie, especially these two movies, especially was so indicative of my problems with the plot and the writing, because I felt continually like what plot they were sharing with us and what they were telling us we were supposed to take away from the plot were completely non related. Oh, say more about that. Um, you know, and I I just felt like they'd show you someone and they'd be like, this is the type of person she is. And these are the type of problems she has. And then they'd have someone step in and be like, you know what your problem is? A thing that has nothing to do with the scene that just transpired. <laughs> you know, right? Like, you have this young woman who has recently gone through a very bad breakup, but who has her own business, and her dear friend and business partner gets her this opportunity to go participate in this like once in a lifetime international prestigious competition and she closes down her shop at christmas time in order to do it so like she's definitely sacrificing money if she doesn't win this competition and then they get there and he's like you know what your problem is you're taking this competition too seriously you need to relax and i'm like if she loses you've bankrupted her like i am not on your side random dude who is not as hot as the movie thinks he is i do not believe that she should be just chilling while she's in belgravia i believe she should in fact be prepping for this competition because she just closed down her goddamn bakery at christmas
1: But again, like you said, that's a thing that this screenplay does all the time because it knows that the audience doesn't actually care about logical progression in the plot and for things to like hang together in any thematic way. Like, for example, there's two really good examples of think of this with Princess Margaret. One, (laughs) she and, and Prince Edward are in an arranged marriage in 2018 because apparently they need to create alliances between their countries like it's the fucking medieval period. And I don't know what kind of like geopolitical issues Belgravia and Monrovia are having, but I kind of want to know, like, is it a war on Christmas? I want to know.
0: Well, see, here's something that I noticed after watching these two movies back to back um, and piggybacking off of some of the things that we've mentioned in our previous Christmas episodes. All of these uh, small fictional European monarchies seem to be having a real orphan crisis Major orphan crisis. Um, so so there many must, orphans. There must be a war or a serious health care crisis in these countries because all of them have endless orphanages that have absolutely no funding and a shit ton of eight year old kids who have no one adopting them. So I think that this must mean there's a massive war happening that has killed off Half of the adults between the ages of 20 and 40, because where else are all of these six to nine-year-old kids showing up from? That all of these countries keep having to have balls in order to raise money in order to support their orphanages.
1: So, in a sense, what we're saying is actually, if you take a very subtle sort of sort of subversive read of these films, what you're getting is a, a films about um, trauma and wartime and and memory. You have three nations. I forget the name of the country in *The Christmas Prince*. It does not matter. All three of them are more or less Christmas Christmas dictatorships where all of the important events have to happen at Christmas, very specifically. And that has somehow created a a series of wars that has killed all of their young people, a la World War I, and created a flood of orphans. And also their monarchs are um, kind of frighteningly detached and cloistered uh, dictators. Mm -hmm. Because another thing that Margaret says that is so confusing... Is that her logic for why she wants to switch with Stacy is that she doesn't know what it's like to be a person, basically. Like she doesn't know how to like live a normal life because she's been held away in a castle. Like she's Belle and Beauty and the Beast. But like
0: Yeah, there's a there's a real what? There's a real class divide between the aristocracy of these countries and the populace. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that this war, which has been going on for I'm gonna assume about a century at least. Um, has resulted in the aristocracy sheltering themselves within their own castles because they have literally never interacted with the people. And what they do continually is, like I said, throw these giant balls in order to raise money, which they then throw at the place with the biggest immediate need right now, the orphanages. Um, But they don't interact with the orphanages or help to you know, um, run them. They don't sit on the boards. They just raise money. Um, and they have never interacted with the populace. They, uh, she says she's never been to a toy store, uh, or she's never been to a sing along, which I mean, I think means (laughs) that the, um, you know, the royalty also don't even do many particular events for themselves. But I think what they do do is they maintain this almost year round Christmas spirit as a sort of Orwellian distraction, for the populace to not notice just how much the um, royalty are benefiting from, you know, economically from these wars while everyone else is just dying and starving to death in the streets.
1: Wow. And you know, this really gives a kind of um, a kind of rich darkness to uh, Edward's latent misogyny, which of course mm. makes me very sad because uh, San Palladio is very pretty. And listen, if you ever break up with Cassidy Pope, call me. Prince Edward's latent misogyny in this film really alludes to a, a very cloistered and very old culture that has been hidden away and and kind of protected, as you say, from this, this, uh, this aristocracy, this very detached aristocracy. You know, like when he tells uh, Stacy, who is masquerading as Margaret, that she'll be too busy to care about political affairs. But hey, maybe actually come to think of it now, based on what you're saying, maybe he's just shielding her for the ongoing Christmas wars. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what it is.
0: Uh, Well, and I wouldn't be shocked to find out that his parents have shielded him for most of his life as well. Um, You know, you see when when Margaret does start to take over her country that they're not really letting her participate in some of the, like, economic discussions, even though she's been trying to educate herself. And I think there's really a situation of, you know, some of the the attaches and the advisors to the royal family doing a lot of gatekeeping in order to keep them from realizing just... um, just, you know, what is happening in the streets, much the way as, you know, happened with rulers like, you know, Marie Antoinette um, and the like, who really had no idea how big of a divide there was between the wealth of the aristocracy and, and the poverty of everyone else.
1: Well, let me ask you a question, then. Do you think that Margaret, because of that, has become um, a, a bloodthirsty sort of Richard the Third type? Because I'm pretty sure between the first movie and the second movie, um, either her title just changed completely and we're just supposed to not worry about it. Or she killed several members of the Royal family (laughs) to be the next in line.
0: So well, I I had questions about, um, the, uh, the line of succession in her country, because first of all, in the first movie, they keep saying that she is the Duchess of Montenegro, Montenegro Montenegro is a real country. She is the (laughs) Duchess of Montenegro, um, which they keep saying is a country But if she's the duchess of it, one would assume it is a duchy that is a part of a larger kingdom. Um, But duchess seems to be more of a um, title indicating, like, princess or member of the royal family. Um, Yes. And then when... the Duchess of Cambridge, for example. And then when the king dies, the immediate... His son, who's the immediate heir, abdicates for reasons unknown, perhaps because he has finally become woke to the reality of the Christmas Wars and decided he could not handle it. Um, And somehow she, by being presumably a cousin of his and therefore the Duchess is the next in line. Um, I'm, I'm picturing sort of a a queen Victoria situation where Mm. kind of everyone in their parents' generation has already died. And so then it's the extended cousins who are much closer to the throne than they would have been um, had people not been, you know, continually sacrificed to the Christmas Wars.
1: Well, you know, this is really really tragic to think about then Fiona, evil clone Fiona, uh the third princess look like what her state is in this uh, aristocracy. No wonder she's turned evil. She's been traumatized by the Christmas wars. Her parents are dead. They were obviously killed in these Christmas wars, and now she sort of has to beg off of her uh, her 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 Queen Margaret, her now Queen Margaret, her cousin. And inevitably we're going to have a, you know, a Queen Elizabeth Mary Stuart situation and Fiona's going to try to kill Margaret again, and then Margaret's going to kill Fiona. Now, where's that movie? Is that the third one? Because I'm here for that. <laughs> I mean, I'm a third one, that theoretically,
0: is intrigue. still coming. Uh, last reports say they are filming a third one this year.
1: So. Is there going to be a fourth clone? And is it going to be the girl from The Night Before Christmas? Because yes.
0: Right, because there are already four clones. Okay, wait, let's... I, I know that we have to talk about Fiona, but for a second, let's jump a little bit to the most insane thing that happened in either of these two movies, which is saying something. At I cause I think I think it needs to be addressed.
1: It uh it does need to be addressed. So if you haven't seen these movies, just just so we're all very clear, in the first film, Margaret uh has a wonderful time watching what I have to assume is her first uh Netflix original film on the television. Uh, because she's been cloistered in a castle due to the Christmas wars. It may be
0: her first color TV experience. It may be. Uh, (laughs) And the film that they watch is A Christmas Prince. Because product placement and network integration. Flash forward to the second movie, the sequel, and Eliza, tell the people what happens. At Margaret's coronation in Montenero, the prince and princess of Aldovia, a.k.a. Princess Converse and her bland-ass boyfriend, husband, whatever the fuck he is, are at the fucking coronation! They're there. Which means they're real in this universe. Which means that watching the freaking Christmas Prince as, like, your romantic date night movie is like watching a weird, overly personal documentary about the like neighbors next door because they're real people who exist in a country nearby these other countries and then they show up at the coronation so that means that these two worlds exist in the same universe even though they already watched the movie which also somehow netflix exists in this universe it's very confusing but what makes this especially weird is that the country of aldovia which is the country featured in the christmas prince with princess converse is mentioned in A Night Before Christmas, the theoretically unrelated movie starring Vanessa Hudgens and featuring time travel and a medieval knight who knows how to drive an SUV. But if that exists in the same world, then that means that there are at least four identical Vanessa Hudgenses in this world. It is also worth noting that the second movie mentions Ariana Grande, which means that Nickelodeon stars who become pop stars... Are a thing, so you have to wonder: Are Disney stars who become pop stars and movie stars a thing? Because in that case, actual Vanessa Hudgens also exists.
1: This is all spot on analysis. I want to add two things to it. First, um, one perhaps uh, Margaret's crying at uh, the Christmas Prince in the first movie. Perhaps um, we're reading it all wrong. Maybe she's watching it, and it is her first window into the third player in these Christmas wars. It's her first time getting a sense Mm. of her blood enemy, and she is moved to tears to see the humanity of this other Christmas dictatorship, and thereby, when she has her coronation, she invites them to the palace to heal these old wounds, and maybe the Christmas wars are no more. We'll never know, because the films are too afraid to address this very vital subtext. Here's my other thought. So... We have a centuries-long Christmas war. Who's to say that this BS explanation we get about the family just having strong genes and some person fucking off to America with a divorcee is all BS, and really, what we're looking at is a war crime. A, a wartime secret laboratory in mm-hmm. Belgravia where they make Vanessa Hudgens clones. Consider it.
0: I'll be cloned. For Christmas,
1: (laughs) you will see three of me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Janelle. Janelle, I think you're right. I think it's the only explanation that they were attempting to create more and more of the royal families, which perhaps are having trouble to procreate because there's only you know four of these countries and they've all intermarried and so they're you know starting to have hemophilia and other issues and they have a few members of the family who are displaying healthy you know bodies and and medical situations and so they are attempting to clone them in order to create more members of the royal family in order to extend their hold on these christmas economy countries during the wars and in order to ensure the line of succession which as we've seen in the second christmas princess switch is not stable right
1: yes no i think i think this is the only explanation and i mean it really makes you wonder about all those orphans are all those orphans clones (laughs)
0: Oh my god! That's why they keep supporting the orphanages!
1: It's the the cast-off clones, the ones who weren't good enough.
0: You know, Janelle, we thought that these movies had no substance, and I think you were wrong.
1: (laughs) Oh wait, but actually I do... Okay, so there are two substantial things I want to ask you about. Um, I'll start with the less serious one. According to the Google Summary, the central sort of plot machination of this is that these uh, two identical clones um, fall in love with each other's bows, their their loves, but not their Mm -hmm. loves because they weren't actually in love with them. So what does this kind of switcheroo plot, what does it have to say about love and relationships? Is it trying to tell us something about who should belong with who? Because at one point I was like, ah, I see. The princess ends up with the pauper and the pauper ends up with the prince. So is there sort of a... Is there sort of a, you know, anti-capitalist redistribute the wealth narrative going on here? Like, what do you think is happening with that?
0: Well, absolutely. I do think that on the barest surface level, the movie is trying to say, like, look, they were exposed to people with different experiences from their own and they fell in love with that. And isn't that great when you can all bring your own experiences to the table? Um, Which is like, I guess, a nice message. Uh, There's not much more to it than that, but like, it's there. Um... My thing is that this sort of a movie with this kind of a switch, um, you know, the, the Christmas Prince movies, those are more of a Cinderella story. This is not. This is based on the structure of Mark Twain's The Prince and the Pauper, mm-hmm. which is a story about um, Prince Edward, Elizabeth I's younger brother, before he became king, accidentally switching with the pauper. And he learns about the populace and he learns about... You know what's going on in the world, and it helps him to decide that he wants to be a more compassionate king than his father was. Um, Which, like, cool story, but he only only raised for like so, like, um, not super helpful. Um, Probably could have actually written that about Elizabeth and had it be a little more um, relevant. But you know, men. But that structure about those two people switching places in that way is supposed to be about learning to appreciate where you come from and learning the responsibilities that you need in order to do whatever it is you need in your life, right? Like the idea is the pauper is like, man, wouldn't it be great to be the prince? And then he goes and he's like, wow, it's like really tough being in this life. I should appreciate what I have in that I have the freedom. And the prince is like, man, I wish I had the freedom to, like, run around. And then he, like, goes and sees what, you know, the populace is like. And he's like, wow, I have a real responsibility to take care of these people. And those are the lessons the two of them take and, like, go back to their homes to do that. In making it a romantic story, by flipping them and then having them each fall in love with the person from the other place, they don't actually learn anything. I mean, they Mm -hmm. learn... Facts, right? Like they learn what it's like to go to a market, what it's like to sit in on an economics meeting, you know, whatever. But they don't come away with a lesson, and they don't think like, "Wow, I didn't appreciate how great I had it as X, as Y." Right? Like the girl who was just like a normal girl who ran her own com- who ran her own business and like was trying to figure out her life in Chicago ends up being a princess. And the girl who was like, well, I'm the duchess of an entire country, but I don't really like the spotlight, ends up just dating a guy who, like, works at a bakery in Chicago. So I think it loses so much. And it doesn't mean you can't make that a romantic story. You can make anything a romantic story. But structuring it that way, you really lose any form of character growth. Because neither one of the women really grows. They don't actually learn anything. They just sort of get what they wanted.
1: Yeah, that's true. There isn't really a shift or a moment of recognition or realization. It's just sort of very, uh, very flat. I mean, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the end, actually, in a weird way, it's actually a deeply like favorable narrative to the men in the story because Edward and Margaret didn't really get along. And, you know, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin is presumably into Stacy, or they would have been, but she's his best friend, but there's just, like, nothing there. So now he just gets a girl who looks exactly like Stacy,
0: Right, like, he gets his hot best friend, but who's actually interested in hooking up with him. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and, like, Edward gets a girl who looks like Margaret and can, like, kind of pull off being royal because she has that look, but isn't as stuffy as Margaret. Yeah, I don't know. It's, like... I think that this narrative put in this way, like you said, it, it fills me with existential dread because in, in this case, we're not dealing with a parent trap situation where we have two characters whose personalities are pretty distinct. Like, mm-hmm. that's actually one of the eerie things of watching the sequel is that Fiona is really different. But, <laughs> right. but other than that, like Margaret and Stacy are just sort of like the same. Do you know what I mean? And there's yeah. something creepy about the fact that people actually do have a hard time telling them apart. Like. Right. Okay, for example, when in the second one, no. Margaret and Stacy have separate have, have switched, and Stacy as Margaret, is hanging out with her husband, Prince Edward, and she's doing her like really poorly acted fake, you know, I'm Margaret, haha, I'm so fancy, I know things. <laughs> um, and he doesn't immediately see through it. I was so creeped out. I was like, no, this is a yeah. really great moment for Edward to be like, no, I didn't know this. This is how I met you, Stacy. Like, I'm not an idiot. Like, I can see that this is obviously you oh, and Oh, Margaret. but Janelle. Instead, he, said- he is
0: an idiot. <laughs> He's an idiot. It's so sad. Well, Sam idiot you are so pretty. You are so <laughs> pretty. And then, so then it pretty. happens again at the end when they have the, like... I can't believe they included this in this movie, the big rush to the airport to stop the love interest from leaving, which, like, again, just doesn't work as well in the 21st century when you can just fucking call him when he gets off his plane, but whatever. Um, But they get there, and Kevin, the girls still haven't switched back, which basically means that one's in a pantsuit and the other's in a skirt suit, and that's the only difference. Um, Mm -hmm. And he sees her, and he's like... You look like Stacy, but you're talking like Margaret. And I'm like, okay, first of all, you look like Stacy. They're identical. Of course, she looks like Stacy. Like, that's not news. Second of all, because her hair is down instead of pinned slightly back. Like, you can't be that much of a moron. Do you really see these women so differently that you're like, I've never seen you looking like this before? Vaguely disheveled. Like, then you've never slept with her. So, I don't even know why two years later we're still having a conversation <laughs> about whether you two should be together. Um, but you're Listen, right. It's...
1: That's why he's worried about their marriage because they haven't slept <laughs> together still and it's been two years. He just has a hard time figuring it out.
0: But like this, I totally agree with you. That really adds to the creepiness of it because there's not, you know, an element where you're like, oh, they're really having to put on these separate personalities. They're just putting on different professional hats. Um, and especially in the second one when now Stacy has become a princess there's a couple times where they're like we should switch that i have like the freedom to go talk to him and i'm like what are you talking about she's the princess of the neighboring country like she's also a public figure she can't just like walk around on a date without someone stopping her on the street that's not right like that would be like Meghan markle and kate middleton being like we should switch places for the day so that one of us could get a fucking break (laughs) it doesn't make any sense at that point and they still maintain that like belief in the movie and it's so weird
1: it's so true I just I think I think what leaves me feeling cold and and lost in in a wandering and godless expanse after watching these movies is that it makes me wonder can one have a real identity in the late stage capitalist world Because this movie just makes it seem like nothing matters. No gods, no monsters. Everything is a reference. Everything is a (laughs) meme. Everything is a Pinterest board that you made from clothes you found at Ross. And trying to be an individual is a pointless endeavor because you'll just be switched with someone who looks more or less like you. And that'll be that'll be life. I don't know. Netflix, you have to stop making these movies. <laughs> it's just...
0: Stop I mean, making these movies. They're so insanely bad. And, like, to the point where you can tell in so many scenes that... You're, I'm like, I don't even think they did a second take. You know, like, at at one point when, um, when Vanessa Hudgens is, is pretending to be Margaret, so she's playing Stacy pretending to be Margaret, or I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. It's so easy to get it confused. She said something about... You know, her last name as the princess is Wyndham, because she marries, you know, Prince so-and-so, whatever, Edward Wyndham. And she goes, I'm Stacy, blah, 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 Windham And I was like, everyone else in this movie, including you, in an earlier scene, have said Wyndham. No one, there was no script supervisor on set who was like, we got to do that take again. She just said Windham. Like shit like that. Or there were moments where you could like see people breaking or kind of laughing or there's all these moments where the, you know, Vanessa Hudgens is reacting to something the other Vanessa Hudgens said. And so obviously, like those are shot at different times because there's not actually two of her. And you can tell that the director just went laugh and look at Edward right now. And so she laughs and looks at Edward, but it's the wrong kind of laugh for whatever the line was preceding it. You know, right? Like, it's the kind of thing where you're like, she doesn't even know where they are in the script. She's just doing what they told her to do in that take.
1: Well, and that's why I brought up, you know, even though I was just being kind of pretentious and funny, that is sort of why I brought up Dostoevsky's novella The Double, because what that novella leaves you with as an idea, because the main character, you know, has a mental breakdown uh, because of the relationship that he develops with his double it made me think of that this film and all of these sort of Netflix films, which are honestly pastiches, I mean, that's really what they are, are these sort of doubles, these sort of reproductions of a real film. But in order to be made, they had to be made like real films with real people doing real things. There's just something so like, inherently unsettling about that that just this idea that if we keep investing in this idea of we love things that are so bad they're good or maybe just so bad they're bad or that they're so bad at least they're tolerable and we can listen to them while we fall asleep are we just going to end up in an infinite recursive loop where it's just going to be doubles of doubles of doubles of doubles like an Mm -hmm. endless monkey chain barrel of monkeys but it's (laughs) Vanessa Hudgens's yes
0: janelle i just don't know i'm really distressed i just don't know (laughs) guys it's the start of the month we are working our way up to the third christmas prince movie and we're already broken
1: pray for us honestly like if you pray to a god or gods please pray for us i this is (laughs) merry christmas and a happy new year (laughs) something something a christmas song
0: haha everything is warm and bright on that note i love the almost christmas songs that they play at the starts and ends of these movies (laughs) where they're like we couldn't get the rights for an actual popular christmas song so we'll just have a like really shitty fake version of one (laughs) like if that doesn't tell you what you're getting into from the start
1: doubles on doubles on doubles on doubles y'all we, we, the reality in which we live is a Dostoevsky novel. Prepare yourselves accordingly, and I guess, Merry fucking Christmas. <laughs> ah. Um, yeah, hi guys. Uh, this is the time every week. I'm so broken. This is the time every week where we stop to take a moment to thank all of our patrons on Patreon, and we really do appreciate you, and please don't leave after this episode. But we really especially want to thank our romantic leads, who are Bob, Esther, Ian, and Trey. God, we love you. Please, please don't abandon us in this cold, dark, NCCU world. We need you. (laughs) Thank you. We
0: desperately need you. If you would like to become part of our weird, twisted family, you can go to patreon.com slash romcomkilljoys and become one of our patrons to help support the podcast and keep it going. We are in season three, folks, which is very exciting. Um, When we started this a little over a year ago, we had no idea what it would become. And thanks to all of you guys, we have been able to keep doing it, which is great. Um, So if you are one of our listeners and like our crazy content and our crazy rambles and would like to see it continue... Please go support us. You can join for as little as $1 a month, and it does make a difference. And you get access to some cool behind-the-scenes stuff.
1: Like uh, a clip that, if you're just listening to the regular episode, uh, you haven't heard, but is uh, just me and Eliza talking about how our minds melted out of our ears while we watched this movie. You'd be hearing that now if you were a patron. Just saying.
0: Plus, the songs that we create every time our internet cuts out while we're recording. You can also (laughs) go to romcomkilljoys.threadless.com. T-H-R-E-A-D-L-E-S-S dot com in order to check out our merch shop. We've got T-shirts and tote bags and all kinds of fun, weird, funky things um, with some of our quotes and some of our logos. Uh, We will be adding stuff to that periodically. So keep an eye on that. And as always, please like us on Facebook and Instagram um, at RomComKilljoys on both. And follow us on whatever podcast forum you use. Like us, leave comments, all that good stuff. It all helps to keep it going and uh, keep us getting more listeners and giving you more of our crazy rambles. Well, Janelle, I'm not totally sure where to go from there, but... For those of you who are joining us for the first time, at the end of every episode, we provide some antidotes, or if we liked the movie, some supplements, but this week it will be antidotes, uh, to the insanity that we have just watched. So this week, Janelle, what would you rather we consume instead of this horrifying Christmas well, nightmare?
1: As I as I sit here and I contemplate existence and my own identity... Um, All I can do is uh, recommend my second favorite movie of all time, which is a far superior riff on the idea of having a double, what it might be like to encounter someone who is you but is not you, and that is the 2011 film Another Earth. Uh, It's about a young woman who was destined to be an astrophysics student at MIT before A horrifying accident changes her life and trajectory, and you see her um, reckon with grief and guilt as uh, scientists discover that there is a second Earth, another Earth, that may or may not have a completely duplicate world exactly like ours, but not ours. It's a beautiful movie about forgiveness and grief and identity, so it's not uplifting at all, but it's really beautiful (laughs) And I will read you now briefly my favorite quote from it, because I always relish um, an opportunity to read it. And it's actually the kind of most beautiful thing you could get out of a story where you're confronted with your own double. And that is, quote, Within our lifetimes, we've marveled as biologists have managed to look at ever smaller and smaller things, and astronomers have looked further and further into the dark night sky, back in time and out in space. But maybe the most mysterious thing of all is neither the small nor the large. It's us, up close. Could we even recognize ourselves? And if we did, would we know ourselves? What would we say to ourselves? What would we learn from ourselves? What would we really like to see if we could stand outside ourselves and look at us? Unquote. So, go seek out another Earth. All right, Eliza. What do you have? (laughs) What are you going to do to cure me of
0: the disease that I have been given by this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Well... I didn't really know where I wanted to go with an antidote for this week. I had a lot of different ideas sort of swimming through my head. Um, But ultimately, I was thinking about the fact that, in theory, these movies are meant to be light appetizers, right? They're meant to be fun and easy to consume and simple and nice and pleasant. Um, They become really popular around Christmas because everyone's looking for you know, little pick me ups at the end of the year. And I think that people who get excited about Christmas in July, it's a similar thing. We're halfway through the year, we just need something light and fun. Um, But these movies are such shit that they don't accomplish that. (laughs) So um, I was thinking about some beach reading and sort of where you can go from there. And so I've got a couple suggestions. One is there is a show that has come out on Netflix recently called Shadow and Bone. Which is a uh, fantasy series based on a series of books by Lee Bardugo, I think is how you pronounce her last name. Um, and the series, I saw that it was trending on Netflix, and I thought, oh, that looks like it'll be fun. And it exceeded my expectations. It was really lovely. You know, it's it's a teen fantasy type series, but it it was really well done. The actors in it were great. The chemistry between the various couples was really good. There's some, I think, well done underlying plot elements about race and um, racial tensions, which was a you know sort of surprising twist to what I thought was going to be otherwise a pretty sort of flat story from a, a political or ideological standpoint. Um, and I've started reading the books in my spare time, and they're quite fun as well. They're easy reads, um, but they're well done, and they're definitely good sort of beach reading. So, if that's what you're looking for, I would definitely suggest it. It's nice to go onto Netflix and be have low expectations for something, and then be pleasantly surprised, as opposed to even further disappointed.
1: Uh, so, Eliza, the the listeners don't know this, but we do that this is the third time we've tried to record this episode because um, the recording platform we use also hates this movie. And I think it's starting to hate us.
0: Yeah, I think it's like, why are you still doing this? Why are you still talking about these Netflix movies? But here's the thing. It's because there's still more of them. There is content, and we
1: shall provide the subcontent to the content.
0: We are smack in the middle of Christmas in July, and we will keep talking about these insane movies for another four weeks. So stay tuned, everybody. Stay tuned. Will I survive this? I don't will. know. Here we are in season three. Uh. <laughs> Merry Christmas
1: in July, everybody. Merry Christmas and a happy new year.
0: And don't travel to Belgravia because there's a war.
1: Yes. Uh, never. What do they What does he say in the movie? Uh, never bet a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> never bake for a Belgravian.
0: When Christmas is on the just, line, just
1: never, just never, yeah, just never. Do.
0: <laughs> but Christmas is always on the line.
1: Christmas is always on the line. Christmas is all around you, and
0: you'll like it or else. Christmas
1: is all around you, and so the feeling grows.
0: I hate it. And cut. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the RomCom com Killjoys podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram.
1: If you'd like to support us further, you can become a
0: patron at patreon.com slash romcomkilljoys. Our theme song is Lady Slut Hitchhike Love by the band A Giant Dog, and the song you're listening to now is a cover of Baby Love by Colin Langaness. Remember, Killjoys, don't let anyone kill your joy. Not a rom-com. Not us. Not anyone. See, See you, you next time.